0: This is Mood Swing, with Wendy Escobar.
1: You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out.
2: Keep, yes, I am so many times. You try to burn, we you want to break, we down, we ain't invincible.
3: It's a different place, how perfect we might be I would be the wind that blows, you'd be that willow tree And I could never bear the thought of you, not by my side So I would be the warmth of day, you'd be the cool of night And every day I pray to John that one day you will see Roll with a lot of signs and turns and twists and Keep on rockin' from city to city, backyard to yard. And we be seeing the sights, standing under the lights. And it's by the side, it's cold and lonely at night. And I'm cleaning and I'm dreaming and I'm holdin' in tight. But hold on, every single road I roll on I Come to an end in the back of my and So, baby, please don't cry. It's no valley, no, and it's no mountain high. And I love, don't die with the passage of time. It just grow more, it just keeps strong. And even though I'm gone, I am. But too far, you're the light through the dark, shining bright through my heart. So my journey, i
4: Welcome to Mood Swing episode 28, I'm your host, Wendy Escobar, and given the current situation in my country, the United States of America, I really felt the need to switch things up and put a mix together that better reflects what's happening right now. I am, of course, fully committed to the values on which house music is based, and I was brought up with a very strong sense of civil rights. So, with those things in mind, I set about curating this hour of music. Now, you've already heard a couple of tracks, but I'm going to continue to keep the talking to a bare minimum, as I think the records are best suited themselves to conveying my message. Yes, the vibe will be a little somber at times, But I believe there's hope for us all as a society too, as long as we understand that we need to come together as humans. We need to come together against the police brutality taking place in America and do the work necessary for a collective healing and rising.
5: us from every other group of slaves was the fact that they knew that slavery was not the beginning and the end of their existence as human beings we on the other hand believe that slavery is the beginning of african or black history that is what happens when you allow someone else to write your history when the united states dropped two atomic bombs on the japanese ending world war ii japan was devastated. The Japanese government, as a part of the surrender, agreed to give America the run of the whole country. The United States controlled the economy, and General Douglas MacArthur wanted to control the educational system. He wanted to ban the teaching of Japanese history, and that is where the Japanese leadership drew the line. They would never dream of letting someone else control what was taught to their children. They knew that if they gave up the mind of their children, then there would be little hope of ever getting back on their feet. Without history, future generations would be forced to grope around in the darkness, lost, afraid, and timid. Unfortunately, this is the status that we were reduced to during our time on the plantation.
6: bragging about themselves at every turn there were many techniques employed
5: by the master to keep us in bondage mentally without capturing the mind the body would continue to kick against circumstances or fight in other words we would continue to run away kill livestock or burn crops and fight against the system of slavery at every turn every day we would get out of bed thinking of more ways to free ourselves So it was for this reason that the master had to capture the body, but enslave the mind. They knew that if a person was without his mind, then his body could be. A few years ago, called the Willie Lynch Papers, that was said to be the plan that was distributed throughout the South. Supposedly, Willie Lynch was a slaver who had a great success at getting work out of Africans who were enslaved on his plantation. They feared him and therefore worked his plantation with little effort on his part. The Africans, it was said, actually ran his plantation for him after he employed his fear tactics. It has also been stated that there never really was a man named Willie Lynch in the first place and his legacy is a myth. Regardless, I believe it is necessary for us to study the Willie Lynch papers in order to understand our own fears and misunderstandings today. It is instructional for us. Firstly, Willie Lynch was primarily concerned with profit. It wasn't personal in the sense that they had something out for Africa. No, they simply wanted to make a buck and then use that money to monopolize or control the world, to seize power over the whole world. It was about the Benjamins from the get-go. That is why we were brought here in the first place, to increase the master's chance of making more money. If you don't understand that, then you won't ever make sense out of anything else about the plantation. It was about who can make the plantation owners, more money. The companies that we work for today are primarily concerned with making money. Priority one, everything else is secondary. Because with money, all other forms of control is made easy. Anyway, the last thing that the master wanted to do was to have to destroy or resell one of his prized African bucks. So they devised a way to get the African to work for him and against each other. Willie Lynch came up with a viable way of achieving this goal. He bragged that he could show other plantation owners how to cut down on the cost of doing business and at the same time increase profits. The Willie Lynch system worked like this. First of all, he had to get the fear of the African and utilize that fear to get him to work against each other. The first priority was to change the mindset of all Africans. He would gather all of them out behind the barn. Then in front of all the Africans, he would single out the strongest brother Warrior with the biggest, strongest muscle. He'd challenge him to a fight. But he would not fight the brother himself, no, he was too afraid. Instead, he would have about five big, dumb, redneck white boys with bats and clubs to jump the brother at the same time. Often the brother was strong enough to take out one or two of the bat- swinging crackers himself, but he would soon be forced to give in to the pain of having his head and just about every other part of his body bashed
6: as he would eventually fall to the ground in a heap of blood and broken bones.
5: And they would continue to beat him mercilessly they would beat him nearly to death there would be blood everywhere the other africans can't help because the master has a couple of more white boys with shotguns standing ready to gun down any african who attempted to help their fallen brother. the beaten brother would lay there unable to move because his whole body was busted up his head was just a bloody mess That is when the master would step up and continue the beating by himself while yelling at the rest of the Africans. He would tell them in between blows that this is his nigger. You are my niggers. And any nigger that didn't acknowledge him as the only real man on the plantation would get beaten in the same way. The Africans would look on, some of them in anger, but all of them in fear. Next he would order his rednecks to spread the brother out on the ground. Spread eagles. Then they would tie a long rope around each of his ankles and each of his wrists. Then they would tie the right wrist and the right ankle to a horse. Then they would tie the left ankle and the left wrist to another horse on the other side. Now they have the two horses facing opposite directions with this helpless brother lying between them on the ground. The master would then fire a gun. The scared horses would take off running as fast as they could. As they run in opposite directions, they would literally pull the busted and battered brother in two pieces. His insides would be all over the place as half of his body would go in one direction and the other half in an opposite direction. Blood would shoot all over the place. All of the other Africans are scared beyond reason. The master would yell, I can do this to each and every one of you niggas if I wanted to. To prove it, he would then grab the second strongest brother and start the process all over again. He would have the brother beaten nearly to death. However, this time he stops. He commands one of his strongest female Africans to come to the brother's aid. As she kneels down to assist the brother, he tells her that she will nurture him back to health and then have sex with the brother until she got pregnant. They are now connected to each other in some sort of evil arrangement of matrimony ordained by him who is now thought of as the ultimate man, the man of all men, a walking god on earth with the power of life and death in his hands, his hands. See, we're talking about this bus wreck. The African men were frightened and reduced to the level of the beast, only good for the master's bidding, only good for what the master tells him he's good for. He is now the possession of the master, no longer a man, a possession filled with fear. The African women have witnessed this whole scene. Whom do they now fear? Whom do they now respect? It was at that moment that she was reduced to a warm body that the black man used to get off of. No love, no compassion, no respect, just something that gets pregnant and gives birth to the master's property nine months later. The master might even use her as a bed warmer himself during the cold winter nights while the African man lay awake wondering, thinking about his master's hands, touching his child for his own pleasure. To keep from going crazy, the brother had to find something, anything, to laugh at. It is why we still laugh at stuff that ain't funny today. It relieves us of our pain, and why we can leave our children like it ain't no big deal. Our masters told us on the bus that our children ain't no big deal. We bought that lie then, and we still buy it today. African men were reduced from Africans to niggers, in everyone's mind. A nigger who is ashamed of himself. And in his shame, this plantation-made nigger becomes a shell of a man. He has become transformed to a nigger. So strong was this mental implant, our strongest young black males of today still think they're him. get them to stop calling africans niggas if you put a gun to their head you see this is a part of the bus wreck he laughs when it ain't funny scratches when it ain't itching in his shame he is now looking for ways in which to alleviate his pain or the pain of the shame that he feels in front of the african woman and the humiliation he feels in front of his own children for he has learned on the plantation that they are not his responsibility over the years the only emotion that he was able to show his anger and laughter. He looks for humor in everything around him so that the pain of humiliation does not become too overwhelming. So he just laughs and fights other African men and women. Now the African woman has his son. Do you think she wants this boy to be like his father? Of course not, he ain't even a real man no more. If he was, he would be dead by now. She remembers what happened to the brother with the horses the last strong man she ever saw from Africa. So the last thing she wants for her son to be like is the obliterated African boy. She now belongs to the master. He is her lord and savior, literally. She will teach her son how to become a perfect slave from the day he was born. That boy won't ever see his father as a real man either. His mama taught him from day one out of fear how to be the master's best and most prized possession, an obedient male slave, a nigger, a big strapping buck who does not have a mind of his own. He is strong physically and weak mentally, detached from any semblance of a man. Fear is sown deep into the genetic imprint of each cell of this young black African body, and in the end he knows only what the master wants him to know. The African woman now becomes the master's most trusted companion, especially the ones who worked cooking and cleaning for him in the big house. She even became a sex object for the master and his filthy buddy. All the while he slobbered on her. He called her his nigger wench. Today, it is not unusual for the African American male to have nothing to do with the raising of his children. Our young people are almost exclusively under the care of African-American women who often don't respect African-American men and could not respect them if they wanted to because in most cases, brothers are not worthy of respect. Most of us don't even respect ourselves. Lessons straight from the plantation. It's the bus wreck, you see. The plantation is still the mother of many of our actions today. Most of you still carry the name, language, customs, and values of former masters from long ago.
4: You're listening to Mood Swing, episode 28, and I'm your host, Wendy Escobar. The next track is one that I've wanted to include in the show for some time now, but I've never quite had the right opportunity. I was really fond of this when it was first released. As I mentioned, civil rights have always moved me. And this is because at a very young age, I was made aware that different races and sexes don't have equal social opportunities. And that really impacted me as a child. And although we can all do something to make the world a little bit better, one person alone can't triumph over all the injustices in the world. So, out on Strictly Rhythm, this is Fusion Group Orchestra featuring Steve Lucas' If Only I Could, the Liam remix.
7: and steal their natural resources, resist, when they refuse to pay reparations for 400 years of enslavement of a people, resist, speak truth to power, do not comply, do not believe, do not accept, do not be afraid, do not surrender, do not judge, do not therefore witness against thy name.
4: Episode 28, and I'm Wendy Escobar. So, Mood Swing is a show that's meant to reflect different feelings. It was extremely important to me that this month's episode went some way to expressing at least a few of the emotions I, and I'm sure many others, have experienced over the last few days. I was at some of the Los Angeles protests, and while I was there, many moods were present. Hope was present, as well as anger, joy, fear, strength, disappointment, pride, and empathy. 2020 has already been quite the challenge, but if we make the necessary changes, changes in ourselves and in our systems, if we no longer tolerate injustices, but rather look to cure the root of these injustices, it will all be worth it I'll be back here in July but for now I want to remind you all that love is the message and as always peace